Okay, everyone, welcome to the Accelerative Thrust podcast. I'm Dan. And I'm Eric. <laughs> and today we are going to be talking about something really, really cool. But before um, we get into what the episode is about, um, Eric and I were just having a conversation actually just now about uh, letting you all know that every week we are going to be up, up, uh, I was going to say uploading, but we're not going to be <laughs> uploading anything to Spotify. Uh, can I talk? I some, some, sometimes I wonder if I can even talk, Eric. You ever have you ever have moments like that? Yeah, <laughs> just kidding. Yes, I do have moments like that. Oh, um, <laughs> for sure. But uh, anyway, updating. We're going to be updating the Accelerative Thrust um, playlist uh, in addition to um, updating the Accelerative Thrust podcast. We're going to be we're going to try and upload an episode every week um of course there might be some weeks that that just might not be possible depending you know if things happen in life but um and then uh every time that we upload a new episode um we're also going to update the playlist because we always talk about a lot of bands artists songs and things like that this episode is going to be no different as you will surely here uh here in a minute um and so just to let you guys know right now there's no schedule like set schedule when i'm going to be uploading or when we're going to be uploading new episodes every week but we are going to head in that direction um and uh i'll keep you posted we'll we'll keep you posted i keep saying out we will keep you posted <laughs> You're doing most of the work. I, I'm just, I'm just here well, you know, for color. Now that's not just, uh, little little jokes and that, uh, that's totally like that. come on, Eric. That's totally <laughs> not true. You were just telling me that you were um, promoting on Facebook, and I'm not on Facebook. I, that's true. I did bother all my Facebook friends about it. Yeah, so, you know, and yeah. <laughs> that's uh, you know that that's important, man, because uh, that's something. <laughs> I gave up Facebook. No, no, it's it's a lot. I really appreciate that, Eric. And uh, you should pat yourself on the back. I already was, but I'll continue. <laughs> oh, dude, you should just do it the whole episode. I, that was my plan. There you go. Maybe that's what this episode will be called. Eric pats himself on the back the whole episode. No, uh, I don't think that's what it'll be called. You don't like that one? Uh, uh, we'll see what happens. Okay. That sounds good. Um, so I'm drinking coconut water. Um, wow. Yeah. Have you ever had coconut water before, Eric? No, actually, uh, I don't do well with coconut. I, um, it's kind of a migraine trigger for me. So, oh, wow. Yeah. Um, one of the few things. Uh, pretty much that and pineapple and artificial sweetener. Uh, but anyone that knows me knows that that list has been pared down a lot. It used to go on for like five minutes, all the stuff that would give me a migraine. But now it's just those three things. So Well, artif yeah. artificial sweetener I can totally understand. But I wonder if um, coconut water, and it's that's interesting you say pineapple because I'm drinking coconut water with pineapple. 
Oh man, that'd be good. <laughs> That's like a double <laughs> migraine right there for you. I'm sorry, double Eric. Migraine. I'm already I'm, just by even mentioning that. I'm sure I'm triggering it, aren't oh. I? Um, <laughs> yeah, it's starting. I'm seeing spots out of the corner of my eye. But um, yeah, pretty rough. I wonder if that could be because <clears throat> of like something like. Do you, are you sensitive to something in? Because I know like coconut and pineapple both I think have uh, high amounts of potassium. Like, I don't know. Yeah, I'm not sure. Do bananas I, bother you at all? No. Okay. No. So. Well, huh. I don't know. It's They're easy enough things to avoid, you know, like, pretty much. Not for me, man. I love this stuff. I um, mean, unless I were in Hawaii, I guess, then you really are. <laughs> yeah, you would have to. That's all they have in Hawaii, I heard. Pineapple. And yeah, it's, it, it's true. Like, yeah. yeah. I mean, that's like, I don't even think they eat anything else or drink anything else over there. Just uh, ham and spam. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And then there's those things called the Loco Moco. You ever heard of those things? No, I haven't. What's oh, the that? Loco Moco. It's this weird, like, because normally, like, when you think of, like, tropical places like Hawaii, you're automatically going to think about, like, sitting on the beach with like yeah like a pineapple or a coconut drinking out of it or something right yeah like that cartoon tailspin uh <laughs> you know blue they were that's all they were doing when they were seems like all they yeah. were doing were flying planes and then drinking out of coconuts like the entire yeah. like cartoon uh, i don't know if you ever watched tailspin or not growing no up. but with that recommendation I'm going to start. <laughs> it's uh, it, it, it was one of my favorite cartoons that came on after school in elementary school. Uh, but um, anyway, and what was I even talking about? I Oh, yeah. Okay. So the Loco Moco. Appar- yeah. Apparently, like, this is, like, a big thing in Hawaii. It's this dish where they take, like, rice, just, like, plain white rice, and they put, like, this hamburger patty, this ground beef patty that's, like... It, I guess it doesn't taste like a traditional hamburger, but it's like, uh, like I guess it tastes closer to meatloaf than it does a traditional like hamburger patty. And then they smother it with this like super high fat gravy. And then they serve it with a big old side of macaroni salad or potato salad. <laughs> and like that's, it's seriously, it's like wow. the most disgusting yet wonderful things on all on one plate is what it yeah. sounds like. Uh, it does sound good. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's like, so yeah, no, this is like an official thing in Hawaii, I thought. It's like, so that's what Hawaiians are eating. Like, that's what they're keeping from the rest of the United States. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. Oh, and also a uh, an over easy egg on top. Oh, snap. So like, that egg, a- yeah, so like everything. Yeah, dude, look it up. Look, just look at pictures of this thing. It's It's absolutely right. insane. Um, but yeah, so, uh, that's, that was, uh, our conversation about Hawaii and coconuts and pineapples and stuff like that. <laughs> and uh, I'm just having a plain sparkling water because yes. I'm the most boring person in, in the world. Well, I mean, okay. Is it plain or is it flavored? No, it's, it's just water with sparkles. <laughs> <laughs> Water That's with it. sparkles. I like that. Water with sparkles. Um, yeah. <laughs> I like I like sparkling water. Um, 
I, I do. Uh, I like I'm to addicted mix, to it. I like yeah. to mix it once in a while. I'll mix it with like orange juice or something, mm-hmm. like a little bit of orange juice nice. or whatever. But I, I actually don't like adding a lot to it because I do actually like that sort of bitter seltzer taste. Like mm. I've I've trained myself to kind of like that, you know, where it's not it doesn't get too sweet. But yes. Uh okay. So moving on. So yes. Accelerative thrust playlist updated every week. Oh, we have a new logo. That was the big thing that we were that I was uh not wanting to mention last week. Maybe I was overreacting or over hyping it or something but it's a cool logo you guys should all check it out it's on it's on the spotify page now and well i'll I'll use it when i uh post about the the new uh episode so there we go that's all anyone who knows me will see it um and if you don't know me then i guess you're on your own (laughs) (laughs) you're your sol ladies and gentlemen um and anyone who knows me We'll see it yeah. on Instagram. Um, and also, anyone who knows Eric will also see it on Instagram, too. Right. Because Eric's also but on Instagram. If you, if you know both of us, you won't see it. <laughs> you won't see it. We'll make it sure. It cancels out. See, because Instagram has this thing where it thinks it's a double post. Yeah. And so <laughs> you won't see it at all. Yes, so, exactly. Right. So if, if you know both of us, yeah, sorry. <laughs> we have to cancel you. um and uh also i wanted to mention too uh so right now this uh podcast is available on all three or uh, three platforms um uh transistor.fm i think the website addressed is simply accelerative thrust.transistor.fm also this website called content made right what content I believe the website address there is contentmaderight.com slash accelerative thrust. And then on Spotify, which the best way, of course, to look on Spotify uh, would be just to go to Spotify and search for it. Uh, You will probably find also on Spotify um, a link to the playlist as well, the weekly playlist. So it's the same playlist. We're just going to update it every week. So bonus. Yeah bonus for spotify listeners um but yeah uh choose your platform ladies and gentlemen okay so moving on um the episode today would you like to kind of do like an introduction here eric or yeah i can do that all right um so uh anyone who knows me um at least within the past 25 years or so um probably also knew my friend sean because we were pretty much um inseparable joined at the hip for 25 years um he passed away i don't know is it last year or the year before it's been Uh, a little while i think it was a year and a half maybe almost yeah Uh, about a year and a half yeah yeah so um after he passed uh his wife Julie asked me to uh, go through his records and kind of disperse those to um, some of his friends and so I did that I just set up a Discogs um, invited every person one at a time to kind of go through pick out things he wanted 
they wanted, and then I um, either delivered them to them or mailed them to them or whatever. Um, because Sean had a lot of records, he had a lot of really cool records, um, and so I wanted to be able to share those with other people. Um, I didn't keep very many unless it had a very specific sort of memory um, or if it really meant a lot to Sean in a certain way. And actually the ones that meant the most to Sean, I think um, his wife Julie still has. So, um, which I'll mention one of those specifically later. Um, But yeah, so Dan and I were talking about some of these records that we inherited and that it might be cool to talk about them. Uh, I guess in the context of that, you know, how it reflected um, sort of our relationship and friendship with Sean to an extent, but also just to talk about the music. So, um, yeah, I guess that that that's uh, about the best I can set it up. So, okay. um, so yeah, we're going to talk about, um, it's going to be kind of similar to the 2020 uh, lists that we did uh, in that uh, we each picked uh, three records that because uh, I was one of the um, one of the ones that uh, I, I guess you for lack of a better way to say chosen to uh, have some of these records I mean I mean if, if anyone's listening right now I just got to say this and you didn't hear from me and you feel overlooked or left out because I didn't reach out to you honestly the criteria was people that I know Sean was friends with who also collect records. Like, that was the big deciding thing, you know? Um, And so if I didn't know that you collected records, I probably didn't reach out to you. So I just wanted to say that, like, I didn't purposely ever leave anyone out on purpose, obviously, because that would be a terrible thing to do. But if you feel overlooked, sorry about that. And honestly, I probably still have 10 records that I could just send your way, so... (laughs) Well, and, and I, I gotta say, it, it was a, it was a real honor that, um, you know, you you thought about thought about me, um, Eric, um, because, um, I mean, I, Sean was just a really great guy, and you know, there there were t- uh, endless conversations about music and mm-hmm. things like that. Every single time I saw him in public whether it was at a record store, a show, or just running into him randomly, which happened yeah. a few times. I mean, he would always take the time to stop and talk to me about things. And oh, yeah. always had a great, sure. a great sense of humor and always had a creative outlook on everything. And um, so it was, it was a true honor that you thought of me. And I, and I got, I got to thank you. Uh, I can't thank you enough for that, Eric. Yeah, um, of course. No problem at all. So um, I think he thought a lot of you and uh, would be happy that he got some of his records. That's awesome. I can, I I can only hope so. I, Sean was such an awesome dude, and uh, also his brother Scott. Um, yeah. Been friends with him for a while too, and um, so yeah. Yeah, I used to call uh, Sean SJ one, and then then uh, Scott was SJ two. <laughs> That's so, awesome. Scott is still SJ2, even when I yeah, see, yeah. Him, uh, <laughs> That's... see him out. I guess I don't see him out anymore, but 
for a little while we still got to uh, go to like a film scene for the Grindhouse movies and uh, we got to sit together a few times before the pandemic started and that was a big thing because that was something all three of us did on Wednesdays for quite a long time so sure and, yeah uh, yeah nice to be able to do that again yep and both of them were always I mean Scott's also a, a big music music head yeah. and he's also a I know he's into comic books sci-fi I know Sean was as well sci-fi mm-hmm. I mean it's just both of those guys I've I've actually like learned a lot about music and various artists and things like that from talking to both of them honestly at yeah. various times um so yeah we're going to be talking about um uh some of Sean's records that uh yeah you know uh we both uh were able to uh, blessed to have possession of now that he has passed um uh so how do you want to do this eric would you like to um i do uh i guess i i guess i could go first okay that's cool with you. Do, do you want to do it and, the, do you want to do it the same way with uh that we did with our best of 2020 and do one like you sure. do one i do one or do you want to yeah, do all three good. okay all right we can do that Okay. So, um, yeah, I uh, I wanted to pick this one first so I could just slightly go into uh, the kind of relationship Sean and I had. Um, I won't. This won't take forever. I'll try to make this as succinct as I can. But we didn't actually know each other until about 1995, which now that I say that out loud is a really long time ago. But in Muscatine, growing up with. Uh, you know, similar people of similar interests, of similar ages. It was strange that we hadn't met before that point. Um, and we actually met at community college <laughs> in a psychology class. Um, and we went out for a cigarette, and that was it. And we were just like, let's blow this class off and go listen to Mr. Bungle. And that was kind of the beginning of it. <laughs> um, yeah, we uh, went away to school in Waterloo together in about 1996. Um, And yeah, pretty much from there, we lived within, I don't know, 100 feet of each other for the next 25 years. I guess there were a few years he moved out to the D.C. area um, where we weren't as close. But yeah, pretty much the rest of the time we were right next to each other. But part of growing up in a town with people is kind of figuring out that that you did the same things even though you didn't know each other, you know? And one of the first things we uh, figured out about each other was that we sort of had an animosity towards each other on accident. So this is kind of weird. But at the Musser Public Library, which is the Muscatine Library, um, there were two things that I checked out all the freaking time, like all the time. One was a Stephen King story called The Grandma or The Grandmother. It was on cassette. The other side was Mrs. Todd's Shortcut. So I checked that out every time I went to the library. Um, the other one was the Clockwork Orange soundtrack. Um, and some of the times they, it wasn't available, and it always pissed me off. It turns out that Sean was the other person checking that thing out. <laughs> and so 
we discovered that just by talking about, oh, the library, I love that. I always check this out. You know, and Sean was like, what? You were the person that had those when I wanted them? Um, and so that was always really funny to us that, you know, we sort of hated each other. We didn't even know each other. Um, but yeah, so when I was going through Sean's record after he, records after he passed, he had the copy of Clockwork Orange from the Musser Public Library. It says property of Musser Public Library on it. Mm-hmm. I didn't know he had this. I didn't know. I don't know if he bought it at one of their sales. I don't know if he stole it. But I didn't know he had it. And that's really weird because we talked about, like I said, this thing where, you know, it was almost a point of contention for us. And so, um, and maybe I did know he had it, but I forgot or whatever. Um, But it really, it was sort of a a watershed moment to find that record because it kind of took it all the way back to when we were kids or whatever. But um, so... With that being said, that's sort of the background of why I chose this record, but also on a personal, sort of away from Sean thing, the Clockwork Orange soundtrack changed my life. I mean, it didn't even change my life. There was nothing there to change. It created my interest in music. Everything about it was so weird and strange. I had never heard anything really like it because I was checking this out well before I saw the film because I mean I was pretty young I was probably checking this out when I was eight or nine mm-hmm. maybe um and so I had never heard anything like that I listened to I guess some of the heavy metal I listened to might have had synthesizers in it but um yeah and the way it was constructed it was so weird there's like um these long classical pieces. Some of them are on synthesizers. Some of them are the orchestra. There's vocoded versions of like um, the Ode to Joy, uh, you know, Beethoven stuff that's presented through this strange filter. Because I hadn't even seen the movie yet, so I was just I had no concept of what I was listening to. I was actually going to ask you that. Yeah, but to this day, when I hear the Clockwork Orange theme, when the record starts, I'm transported. Like, we tried to listen to it. Um, That's another funny thing, too, is the record player at my house is right next to the dinner table. So my wife and I listen to a record every night when we eat. And so a lot of them have been from Sean, you know. Um, I I put this on, and I, I couldn't even eat. I couldn't even pay attention to my meal. Like, I'm just so transported by this music that I can barely function. I shut down completely and just listen to it. Um, The composer is uh, Wendy Carlos, um, who is a pioneer of electronic music. I would say probably the greatest ambassador for electronic synthesizer music of all time. Uh, The Switched on Bach record is, for most people the first time synthesizer music was taken seriously. And so that can't be overstated. Uh, Wendy Carlos's impact on um, electronic music. And it's just a good foundation for a lot of the stuff that Sean and I were into, you know, cause he was also young. I think he was a year, ahead, uh, 
uh, older than me. So at a very young age, we both independently were already on this path that would bring us together later. And so I, I just thought that was kind of a an interesting thing that happened. So, wow, yeah, that's that that's awesome, dude. What a what a great story. What an amazing thing that you know. There's this piece of music out there that uh, you know just it transports you back and was at the end of the day just sort of this connecting point between you know someone and their best friend you know um yeah before we knew each other <laughs> yeah before before you knew each other exactly um it's amazing you know uh stuff like that yeah i um i mean i've seen clockwork orange you know several times i i i'm starting to get into it now but for the longest time i never really listened to soundtrack music yeah. Um, I just didn't, there was no reason I didn't have any, any like, uh, you know, uh, dislike for it or anything. I just, it just wasn't something that I, that I did, you know? Um, and, uh, but I've, I've been listening to, um, a few, uh, lately, you know, I'm getting into some John Carpenter stuff. Uh, oh, yeah. I think the stranger things soundtracks are amazing. Um, yeah. I mean, and uh, so this is the first time I actually gave uh, Wendy Carlos the Clockwork Orange soundtrack a listen. And yes, I oh. mean, it's very, very um, difficult for me to um, be critical of any classical music because to me it's like classical music is the one music that just automatically um, is just amazing to me every time I hear it. Yeah, You know, it's just really... Like, I feel like you almost can't judge classical music because to me anyway, um, it just it, it sort of seems like the place where all music comes from, you know? Oh, for sure. And so yeah. it, it's just anytime I hear classical music, I'm just I'm blown away by it because I just think that there were elements of things that. It's kind of like how people, this is going to be a weird comparison, but it's kind of like how you think about the pyramids and how they were built and how yeah. supposedly there was no advanced technology in these civilizations, yet they found ways to build these advanced pyramids. I almost mm -hmm. feel like classical music's like the same way when you talk about composition compared now compared to then. Yeah. It's sort of like oh, yeah. there was no technology available to help any of these composers uh, of classical music out. There, there was nothing. Oh, for sure. And, and in fact, yeah. wasn't Beethoven, I mean, he was like blind, right? He was... Uh, I or, think he went deaf. Or deaf, okay, deaf. Yeah. But there, you know, there... And, and of course, there were a lot of different, you know... Um, just different things that, you know, you would think would be kind of like a hindrance to these people, uh, mm -hmm. these composers, you know, that um, they just wouldn't want to even bother making music that is so <laughs> complex and beautiful. But they did. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and it's, it's, well, more yeah, it's more definitely. complex and beautiful than anything. I don't want to say anything, but it's more complex and beautiful than than most things that are created today with all this technology that is 
available oh, to us, just like doubt. just like yeah, like the pyramids. You know what I mean? Yeah, <laughs> for sure. I, I think that, I think that's an all right comparison. I think that trying to understand how the pyramids were created is, I mean, it is just as hard as figuring out how classical music is created. And of course, people go to school and learn mm-hmm. and everything else, but like almost. Yeah, it's funny. It's like the the idea of uh, de-evolution to an extent. Like, it took hundreds of years for us to forget how to how to create music that's so uh, complex and rich. You know? Yes. Like it was like one person made it slightly poppier. Like maybe Mozart made it slightly more accessible or something. And then you just kind of keep going down that path. Until you get to like the inclusion of like uh, folk or indigenous music, you know, mm-hmm. and then then that becomes kind of uh, I don't even know how to say it um, a commodity, you know. Yeah. Uh, and then you know over time it's like you just get machines to do it or something, right. and then like at the end of the day, me included, people just sit and listen to like a single drone tone that was created by a synthesizer for 40 minutes. And they right. go, man, that's some heavy shit. That's yeah. super deep. Yes. You know what I mean? And like, I'm just as guilty as anyone. And I, I do love music like that. So, but at the same time, I really don't think most, I would say 90% of musicians putting music out couldn't even comprehend 10 seconds of how to, uh, compose classical music i i I know i can't yeah no way it's it's somewhere me me writing string parts is the stupidest shit anyone's ever witnessed it's like well we got the root note let's put that on the cello (laughs) and then we'll put a fifth on the violin and you know then we'll put the melodic lead on the viola and we'll call that class like really smart music and it's like no not like not even a little you yeah. do that for like 30 seconds of a song and you think you're a genius or some shit. <laughs> kind of like that meme where you put like, uh, you put like yourself like on top and you're just like, uh, I just composed a beautiful classical piece today. And then a picture of Beethoven, bitch, please. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's, that, yeah. Um, it's, it's really incredible. It's incredible. Like, uh, and they're really, it really does seem like, uh, there wasn't any room for not knowing uh, theory, you know, in order to oh, do that absolutely. stuff. And um, yeah. yeah, it's, yeah. I mean, I'm glad that music has, I don't even want to say de-evolved, but, you know, hmm. that's, I guess that's kind of, kind of for lack of a better way to describe it, if you're talking about, I'm glad it's happened that way because, now I can make oh, music. Yeah. I can right. make music yeah. anytime I want to, you know? Like I'm so glad that it's more accessible. <laughs> exactly. And not only that, but it is it, it is uh, closer to our humanity, I think. Yeah. Like, I think we relate with music. Uh, I think with classical music, you feel it mm-hmm. without a doubt. It has an emotive response. But, you know, if you have someone using words you can connect much more quickly it may not be as deep i don't know you can argue that but 
you definitely can relate with music quicker when it's using language versus just, you know, notes and things. So I would say it's more accessible, not just for musicians, but for listeners as well. Absolutely. I I would like to see um, any, any information dug up about the classical composers that, if there were any that existed, that rebelled against the idea back then. Like, almost like punk rock classical composers who might have sure. might have been considered yeah. like outsider music back then because i mean right. you know I would, yeah i would say that honestly the ones we've heard of are probably the ones who did that you think so? you know what i mean you think so yeah like, um, because because they were interesting they brought something different you know they beethoven uh was a lot different i mean everyone had their own style too i think you hear like classical and it seems the same but beethoven's like so much heavier than Mozart for the most part. Oh, you know? yeah. Yes. And, and like, you know, just all kinds of people, um, I guess, wrote in a lot of different ways. I am by no means an expert on classical music. I wish I was. Yeah. But I yeah. mostly know more about maybe a little more modern uh, experimental classical and stuff like that. Um, sure. Sure. But, Yeah. I, I think that uh, it's it's sort of lost. I think people reference it and use the ideas, but actually understanding it, I don't. I don't know. I'm sure. Like I said, I'm sure there's um, highly trained people out there who do understand what's happening in classical music. But <laughs> for the most part, I don't think most of us know anything that's happening. The so. a- the average person who has a guitar right. has no idea. That's, yeah, that's yeah, for sure. sure. And I think that's I think that's great in a lot of ways. I do. I um, do too. Yeah. All right. Keep it for the elites. Exactly. I will say too though that um the idea of recreating those classical pieces um and designing every sound using a modular synthesizer, and that can't be under rated or understated it's outrageous no like, absolutely i i had that one record yeah. you might have it switched on bach oh yeah it was for sure incredible um yeah it's really something yeah that that there's people that can actually do that yeah that's that's amazing that's a good point that's a good point yeah um and so that's wendy carlos the same same person so oh she yeah. did all the switched on records that makes sense yeah that makes yeah. total sense um yeah, that, that's her modular that's on the cover of Switch.com. Wow. As far as I know. I don't know. I might be making shit up, but that's what I heard. <laughs> wow. That's that's amazing. Well, yeah. um, Eric, my first pick yeah. uh, of Sean's records, and let me preface this real quick um, about the earliest memories that I recall of me meeting Sean. Um, of course he was playing in your old band Gimpy and I don't, I, I couldn't say what show it was, but my guess is it was probably sometime in the late nineties, 97, 98. I had already known Scott, his younger brother for at least a couple years. And I, uh, what I recall, and I, my memory could be hazy about this a little bit, but what I recall is um, just 
talking with him about um, noise music. And mm. I just remember, like, he just had, like, a really, like, you know, like, like funny in a really good way, like humorous way of mm -hmm. like kind of looking at the way modern music was done, you know, like, yeah. and, uh, and so he was recommending like all of these, uh, these artists who honestly, I probably didn't even bother to check out at the time. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, you know, I, I think I was probably 17 or something and, um, but eventually, um, I checked out a lot of the art, like air, for example, I remember air was like a, Oh yeah. Air away in the air. Yeah. yeah. And I remember that was one thing that he told me that I had to listen to. I remember Godspeed, you black emperor, um, mm -hmm. yeah. was one thing that he, and so, I mean that like no specific, like you know, time that I can really nail down when I first met Sean, but I know it was around that time period. And I know yeah. I'm pretty sure that our first conversation was, uh, that I recall anyway, was about that. And it was probably at, I don't know, like the Armory and Muscatine or something. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so the first record that I'm going to talk about, I think that this is a perfect record that, I would, it totally makes sense to me that Sean would be into something like this. Mm -hmm. um, it's Helios Creed, who was the guitar player or one half of Chrome, uh, which was mm -hmm. a, like an experimental band from the 70s. They did this mm -hmm. um, album called Alien Soundtracks. And another one called Half Machine, Half Lips, or Half Half Lips, Half Machines, or Half Moves, or something like that. I don't remember the exact title. But those two uh, albums are often cited, I would say as much as like something like Suicide, um, when it comes to people who do like deconstructed sort of like noise experimental electronic weird rock and roll or something you know yeah um i always hear people talking about chrome um and so i actually didn't know who helios creed was i i listened to chrome um but i didn't know anything about the members um but what really gained my attention with this record is that it's on um, amphetamine reptile records which is mm -hmm. a label that i'm a fan of a lot of music that came out on that label um from the 90s and uh so i put this record on and i was uh just blown away by the um musicianship that was on it i've never quite heard anybody play guitar quite like this um <laughs> It almost sounds like a sci-fi shred metal album, which I know that description sounds kind of lame, but almost like if Angry Malmsteen was doing like a uh, like a punk rock science fiction soundtrack score or something. But I don't even really want to 
throw something like Langley Malmsteen's name into it because that's not really what it sounds like at all. It's just, it's just that there's there's so many strange elements of like shred guitar on here. There's elements of like post rock, punk rock. Um, there's crazy absurd synthesizers, weird guest vocals. Um, you know, it's there's samplers going on here. I'm pretty sure he's using drum machines and there's elements of just noise and prog rock and all kinds of like, you know, just, it's just a really, really weird, cool sound. And it's something that when I listen to it, I'm like, yes, this, this makes sense that Sean would be into something like this. Cause it's just, yeah, it's just a great weirdo rock record. It's not something that I would put on all the time. Uh, you know, I, I, I wouldn't listen to this probably constantly. You know what I mean? Like it's, yeah, it's not something sure. that I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to listen to all the time, but it's something that I'm sure I'll revisit at least, I don't know, once every couple of months, you know, when I'm in the mood, mm. uh, the, the f- first time I put it on, it was like on a Saturday night, um, in my room and, it just it transported me back to almost like being in being in high school, you know what I mean, and just listening to like music by yourself on a Saturday night when you know there was nothing to do, you know. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And it just um, it was a really 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 fun experience. I just think it's a fun record. I think that there's you know. Um, there's just a lot of experimentation going on with it, and um, and then mm-hmm. I then I found out that it was he was the uh, he was in Chrome, and I was like, okay, that yeah. makes sense, that makes total sense, because what I heard of Chrome didn't really sound too far from this. I would say that maybe this is a little more, um, I don't want to say conventional, um, but it definitely was a, a little bit more, I guess, straight guitar rock oriented than Chrome was, or at least what I've heard of Chrome. Um, but yeah, so that that's my first pick. Yeah, I liked, I, I liked aspects of this. Um, it's hilarious, though. Like, I think that um, when someone passes away, you start to um, just only ascribe positive things to their memory you know right, right, <laughs> like, right. you just remember everything in like this rosy way um but sean definitely had a higher tolerance than i did for pure weirdness yeah like yeah i like weirdness okay i like weird music weird movies whatever but what it, but when it's like really overt like it's just in your face. It's constant. It's a wall of weirdness. Yeah. Like I start to kind of pull back from that. Sure. Like I get a little overwhelmed. I can't grab onto any specific thing and enjoy it. It's just like, um, it's like uh, I don't know how to describe it. Like a, a bad drug trip or something. It's just right. like too much. It's overwhelming. And I think Sean really enjoyed that feeling. I think he enjoyed making music that way, too. Yeah. You know? And uh, 
And so I think we had we we were a pretty good balance of not to leave anyone out that we also worked with, but us two together were just a, we balanced each other out a little bit. Um, that's not to say I don't I didn't like any of this, but it definitely it was at the absolute threshold of weird for me. Yeah, like yeah. it it sounded like the butthole surfers to me. Yeah, um, and not and I like the butthole surfers a lot. But I'm more, I mostly like it when they kind of uh, cool off a little bit and they start to almost have a song, you know, not just the, the insane noise. Um, I like that, too, but only, you know, short bursts, really. Um, it reminded me a lot of Buckethead as well, or yeah. even um, some of other, like, things that Bill Laswell has done, maybe some of the Praxis stuff. Um, um, yeah, Buckethead, that's... That's what I was looking for, actually, because uh, yeah. I, I knew that when I referenced Vangui Malmsteen, um, that eh, that wasn't quite the reference I was looking for. I was looking for something yeah. a little more weird that also, you know, treaded heavily, heavily on that uh, sort of like shred sort of thing going on. Right. Buckethead yeah. Buckethead is a way better comparison than Angry Malmstein. So yeah, uh everybody listening, uh just just forget the nonsense I said about Angry Malmstein. <laughs> not even oh. not even close. Um but yeah, it reminded me very much of that time period though too. Like I think that this record sounds very much like um the weird shit that was happening in 1992. Yeah, it was like, it was definitely a record of its time. No doubt. No yeah, doubt. Yeah. And that yeah, um, Praxis stuff, definitely. Mm-hmm. I hear the Praxis thing going on. In fact, I wouldn't be surprised if this guy collaborated with those guys at some point. Yeah, it, it reminds me of a lot of things. Zillatron, uh, all that stuff, you know, which is awesome stuff. Don't get me wrong. I enjoyed all of it. But it all pushes the the envelope for me to a place that I would not put it on very often, <laughs> to be quite yeah, honest. Yeah. Like, I enjoy it, but um, uh, yeah, but it's, it's awesome. It's an awesome choice because it perfectly encapsulates that threshold of weirdness that Sean had. And it was much higher than most people. Like, I don't even know if he even thought there was a thing called noise music, necessarily. <laughs> Like, it was all the same. It was like, if it's weird and uh, inaccessible, then that's what I like. Yes. You know, not always. Not always. But, uh, you know, I just don't think you would find the difference between Borgatominus or whatever they're called <laughs> and Helios Creed, you know? Yeah, yeah. Or, or any of that stuff. Like, I just, or the, the boredoms. It's all the, it's all the same level of just insanity Boredom. and so that is um, that's a name i hadn't heard in yeah. a while right yeah but i think this perfectly encapsulates that one thing i think is funny is like it's obviously a, a squashed picture of dan Aykroyd as uh the conehead right yeah yeah that's that's what it totally <laughs> looks like doesn't it <laughs> right it has to be i mean anyway, yeah with that's with, a side note <laughs> with, with green skin with, yeah. With, yeah. Yeah. That's dude. Yeah. No. I. Yeah. It's. It's definitely. I can definitely hear where you're. Uh, where you're uh, coming from with that. The um, overwhelming weirdness of it all. 
like I said, it's definitely yeah. not something that I'd listen to all the time. Um, now, I have to, just really quick as a side note, mm-hmm. I have to respectfully um, disagree with your stance on the butthole surfers. I okay. <laughs> am a huge, huge butthole surfers fan. And yeah. I am a fan of every single side of that band. And this is this is something that's like even like to the point where I even liked their last album they put out called Weird Revolution, which I'm not sure yeah. if you if you ever heard that or not. No. There are no. there are moments where that record sounds like uh like a two it came out in like two thousand and one or something like that, but there are moments okay. where it straight up sounds like they're trying to become like a like a like a pop band like and when i say pop i don't mean like pop rock i mean like sounds like they're trying to sound like you know that lynn song steal my sunshine yeah like something like that or even like uh some sort of weird version of like i don't know uh like that fastball song the way you know, okay. yeah, it's like, I even like that record. Um, okay. And that's a record that is just completely divisive among Butthole Surfers. That was the last record okay. they ever put out. Anyway. Don't get um, me wrong. I love the Butthole Surfers. Dude. I, I love them. Locus Abortion Technician. Oh, Hairway God. to Steven is one of my favorite. Dude. Probably ever. Hairway to it's, Steven, it's man. Amazing. The opening track yeah. of Hairway to Steven, uh, Jimmy, yeah. is like... Mm-hmm. Just for that alone, it's the most hilarious thing. <laughs> uh, it's so good. It's such a great record. So, it is. It yeah, is. I didn't want it to sound like I don't like that. No, no, no. Yeah, and, and I, I and, and in it, their most weird, extreme moments, that's what Helios Creed sounded like all the time. Yes, yes, me. and 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 to be fair, to be fair, in the early butthole servers years, that's what they sounded like all of the time. <laughs> you know, like. Right. Like at least yeah. on their first EP, but yeah, it's weird. Um, God, I could talk so much about the butthole servers, but it's interesting how also even in their earliest noisy years, how that mm-hmm. band um, actually had like a lot of jangly sort of like melody creep. It's like it's like you knew that they were eventually going to at some point in their career have a big hit like Pepper, but you just didn't know when. It was whenever they yeah. decided it was going to happen. You know, sure. <laughs> but uh, anyway, side note from that, yeah, their uh, big hit for me was uh, "Sweet Low." I heard that. Oh on, God, uh, off, off yeah. the beaten track on yes. uh, KFMH, and probably eighty-seven or eighty-eight. I think it was a newer song. I, I never came back from it. The whole intro, that whole uh, kid talking to his yeah, dad, yeah, yeah. it's just like. It's the best thing Dad, of all time. What like, does, I was a little kid and someone just going, Satan, Satan. Yeah, Satan, Satan. Like, I, I died. You know? Dad, <laughs> I what, loved it so what does regret mean? <laughs> well, son. Oh, <laughs> like, and it, it just comes out of nowhere. Like, at the beginning, sounds like a movie. It's so <laughs> it, good. It's just, yeah. it's great. Yeah. Um, and I, I heard that song before I heard Sweet Leaf. I mean, that tells you something. Yeah, you know? yeah, so yeah, like, yeah. I, probably not by much, because uh, soon after that, I, uh, or probably around then, Anthrax covered uh, Sabbath, Bloody Sabbath on yeah. their um, 
What was that, Killer Bees or something? I don't know. It was a live no, thing. No, um, they, um, I don't oh, remember. Oh, Bring the Noise. Bring the Noise EP. That's what it was. Yeah, okay, Bring the Noise EP. And then I also know, you remember that band Ugly Kid Joe? Yeah, they covered Sweet Leaf also. Oh, okay. Um, and that that was the first time I heard that. And then, actually, it's funny too. Um, Faith No More is the real thing is the first time I ever heard War Pigs. Oh yeah, nice. I think that was probably one of the first times I heard a Sabbath cover as well. Like Anthrax and Faith No More for sure. And I still think that to this day, uh, I. I, anytime I talk to hardcore Sabbath fans, I probably piss them off, but I, I still think I actually prefer the Faith No More version because it was... Um, it's pretty good. I mean, I love yeah. I love Sabbath, don't get me wrong, but man, Faith No More, they, they totally made that song their own. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's cool. It is. Oh, also, though, Len... Uh, you can't stop the bum rush. I don't oh, know if I've ever. Oh man, it's a great I record. I love that album. Great, great I mean, album. <laughs> like anyone who wants to hate on me for that, I don't care. No, no, it is um, awesome. It plays like a history of electronic music and and hip hop and it and, really does and hip hop and CC Deville was on it too. Uh, yeah, and Bismarcky and Bismarcky and, was on it and the uh, uh, what's his name. Um, DJ, uh, uh, some big DJ and I can't even, oh God, I feel terrible. But anyway, um, bigger than Bismarcky. No, 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 not bigger than Bismarcky. It's, um, uh, Mr. Dibbs, not, not DJ, Mr. Dibbs. Yeah. Mr. Dibbs was on it. Mr. Dibbs did a lot of collaborations with like atmosphere back in the day and things like that. Um, he's a soul sonic force, right? Mr. Dibbs. Yeah. No, I don't. Think, no. I don't maybe think so. He's, I think he was. Uh, maybe he is. I don't know. Uh, I I I'm not sure. I I don't speak on hip hop history that I'm not completely yeah. like sure of. Um, if you're obsessed with vocoders like I am, the song I think it's called Man of the Man Year. Man of the Year. It's the yes. one that starts with Bismarcky. That it, is some of the yes. best vocoding. It's so cool. It is. And it's, like, it's, I put that song on way too often. And I don't even care. It sounds just like <laughs> just like craft work, man. Like it's really good. And then they, and the Cryptic Souls crew is yeah. like so Hell, treacherous three or whatever. It's hello, so like that everybody era. and how do you do? <laughs> you know, it's just like it's so good. No, it's yeah, so the, good. and I even like I used to say that that album got good starting with track two, but I even like Steal My Sunshine. Yeah, I think it's a fine song. I think they did themselves a disservice with their video. I agree. Uh, act I agree. like a bunch of Heshers in Florida or some shit. Yeah, it kind of uh, got a little... Um, but, you know... It, I think if they, if no one ever would have seen Len, the people, they would have been into it. I agree. I mean, it's like, uh, it's like gorillas or like... Um, uh, man, what's that... Uh, Hip hop record, it's all scratching about toothpaste and stuff. Um, <laughs> you know I what I'm talking about. Don't, but I love that description. What? <laughs> the I, red worm and all that. Do you remember that? No. Oh, what is that? What? That uh, I love that description though. <laughs> scratching about toothpaste. Um, 
Is this something they gave out like at the dentist office, like a forty-five or something? Oh, turntable. God damn it! Wave twisters is what it's called. Oh no, I've never heard of that in my life, dude. What what is wave twisters? DJ Cuber, wave twisters. Okay, God, I had to look it up. It's freaking amazing. Never heard of that, but I'm gonna check it out now. Yeah, everyone should. Okay, so if you haven't taken anything else from the twenty. Five-hour-long podcast. <laughs> yeah. Listen to that. Listen to DJ Cubert, Wave Twisters. Um, hey, wait to Steven. We'll just put all this on the playlist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. I'm gonna have to actually make a list. Uh, so <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna have some butthole surfers on there. <laughs> of course, everything. Uh, at least one song from each record that we talk about. Lind, yeah. you guys are gonna. You guys are going to be forced to listen to some Lynn because yeah. I 100%. And you're going to be like, why did I hate this? Yeah, no, yeah. Uh, 100%. Lynn, yo, can't stop the bum rush. Is an amazing record. Yeah, I'm, I'm amazed that we both agreed on that. Dude. But I'm also pretty stoked. Yeah. Because everyone disagrees with me all the time. No, and so. the thing is, is like, <laughs> well, and our mutual friend Tim is the one who actually told me that. Um, oh, okay. He was like, uh, that makes sense. I'm sure we listened to that together back in the day. He, yeah. he, he said to me, he's like, that record is awesome. Because I think I was making yeah. fun of that song one day. This was <laughs> before I heard it. I was like, yeah, you know, like some crap on the radio, like Steal My Sunshine. He's like, actually, buy that <laughs> record from the used bin because it's all over the used bins. Oh, now. yeah. You can get it for a buck. You I'm can get it for a buck. Way. Any Goodwill is going to have it at some point. Yeah. Any Goodwill. So you can get it for like 88 cents, right? And so I did. I bought it. They actually had it at the record collector in Iowa City on discount for like, they had like an, I don't know, like a 50 cent day or something. And they had that. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to buy it. It's 50 cents. If I hate it, then I'll throw it through Tim's window. I'll drive by his house or something, you know? And I'll I'll attach a note that's like, if you ever, no, I'm just kidding. I love you, Tim, if you're listening to this. I would never do that to your house. Uh, but um, anyway, um, no, but for real, um, he told me to start with track two. Well, I actually decided to listen to track one, Steal My Sunshine. Yeah. And then as soon as track two started, I was like, oh, my God, he's right. And it made that song yeah. sound better. Yeah, I agree. Once you hear it in context, it's better. Yeah, yeah. in context. Now, what's also interesting about when and I'm going to keep this extremely short because we're really veering off topic here, but, um, <laughs> but that's great. That's awesome. Um, yeah. Lynn started out as a two piece. Cause, uh, that's, uh, there's a brother and sister in the group. Right. And yep. they started out as a two piece in straight up indie rock band. Mm-hmm. Like it was just drums and drums and guitar. And it sounded like, I don't know something like um like slater kenny or something like Mm. uh and that that was their first album they put out and then somehow they just made this awesome like (laughs) electronic record for a major label it's it's an amazing story actually um yeah it's awesome okay so um I'm glad that you mentioned uh, Record Collector because uh, all of these records that we're talking about from Sean uh-huh. came from Record Collector. 
Oh, did they really? Not at that. Yeah, I mean, they're the ones at least we're talking about, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. But I know that he shopped there a lot, a lot more than me. He was a lot more supportive in a lot of ways in Iowa City than I ever have been. I, uh, uh, I actually, yeah, um, I ran into um, him numerous times there. That's actually oh yeah, uh, normally where I would run in, run, run into him if it wasn't at a show. Yeah. So we don't have sponsors on the podcast, probably because we talk for two hours every time. <laughs> but you know, record collector, if you're listening, hey. And if you're a listener of the show, go into Record Collector and say, Accelerative Thrust said hi, and they'll be like, who the fuck is that? Yeah, who, who's and Accelerative Thrust? it'll be thrust? awesome. So. And what does that mean? What does Accelerative yeah. Thrust mean? What does that mean? Get out. Yeah, exactly. What the fuck? Um, uh, now we're cussing. Yeah, we so. should give a shout out to Record Collector for real. No, yeah, absolutely. Uh, uh, record Collector these is... These records came from there. So. And not only that, but Record Collector's always been a primo spot for me to go and find a lot of cool shit over the years. Oh, yeah. I've got uh, Eskimo by the residence there. Changed oh, my life. That's that's such a... The first <laughs> the first residence I ever heard was the commercial album. Pretty good. That was, yeah. that was, that was it for me. After that, I was like, I don't know why I even listen to music anymore. Why do I even try? And yeah. then, then I was well, like, then I was that like, was probably their intent. <laughs> yeah, probably. And then I was like, mm, okay. I heard other stuff from them and I'm like, oh, this is why. <laughs> it's um, Residence, man. That's a whole nother. So now we're going to have yeah, to put Residence on there. Another too. episode. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Dude. Yeah. We definitely. Um, okay. So who's. We're at your second one now, right, Eric? Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, I'll just stick with that, how Sean was uh, always super supportive of Iowa City and uh, the art that was happening in it. Um, mm-hmm. My next choice is Golden Dust. Uh, they were a group from Iowa City consisted of Justin Thai, who I knew, but we weren't necessarily close. Um, and Joe Hurman, who uh, we've gotten to know each other a little bit better over the years. Um, Joe Hurman also is goes under the moniker Nightmare Imagery and does like really sick logos, uh, mostly for metal bands, logos and art, um, really gore-oriented metal stuff. But Golden Dust isn't like that at all. It's very um, synth-oriented. It's... Uh, it's almost um, post-punk in its own way, kind of no-wavy. Uh, I hear a lot of craft work, but maybe that's because they um, use the same sort of flute sound for their leads a lot. But I also hear a lot of Tuxedo Moon, um, Section 25, a lot of those kind of things. Um, but it's cool because Sean... <clears throat> always was into stuff that was happening here in town. Excuse me. Sorry, I had to clear my throat. Uh, no, that's okay. He was always way into stuff happening here in town and um, always supportive of everyone, even though I don't think he ever tried to be seen. He never really tried to be noticed or be part of the scene or like networking and mingling and shit. Like that wasn't who he was. You know, right. Um, right. 
but he always was a part of it and always was supportive, went to shows, bought the records, told everyone else about it. Um, and so he was a big part of the scene. And I think that, like, at his funeral, that was obvious. There was a lot of people that you might have been like, oh, I didn't even know Sean knew that person, you know? Absolutely. But it was um, because he talked to them just like he talks to everyone else and was just always really supportive of this town. And um, I think he's remembered fondly by a lot of people um, in Iowa City. And so that's that's super cool. It's cool to find your your home, I guess, later in life after living a couple of different places. And I feel like I've done that here. And Sean being here with me was definitely a big part of that element of feeling like home. You know, like this... This is my hometown now, basically. So, sure. yeah, Golden Dust. Sure, and yeah, uh, right on the money as far as the description. I listened to this and I loved it. I'm so glad that you uh, you um, put this on your list, um, and uh, it's it's fantastic. I mean, it reminded me of. Um, now, was this did 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 you say this was on Sean Reed's label, Night People, as well? Yeah, it's not Night People, yeah. Okay, and that totally makes sense because I hear the Night People aesthetic. It's almost lo-fi, but not not it's somewhere between lo-fi and um, yeah, kind of has that grittiness, sort of. But then it also is a little bit, you know. Um, it's it's not like as lo-fi as some of the other stuff that I've heard, you know, that right. kind of mingles in that sort of genre, the new wave, yeah. sort of like underground sort of sound. Yeah, I hear a lot of um, I hear a lot of craft work in the synth synthesizers particularly. Yeah. Um, I also hear a little bit of like something like maybe joy division or something absolutely a little bit i was just gonna say that and the vocals are very ian curtis and even something even something that was um like kind of uh a little bit more modern than like a modern take on that sound like the faint Mm -hmm. i hear a lot of something like the faint and um so yeah it was just a really great listen um it's really it's a record that is just it is what it is and that's that's mm-hmm. what you're going to get. It's there's no surprises on it. It's a new wave record and it makes no yeah. um it you know it it, may, it has absolutely no qualms about being a new wave record. It, that's just straight right. up what it is. And that's Yeah, I love think, that. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, I was just going to say I love that. Um and that's what yeah. reminds me uh about the faint more than anything about it is that the faint also were a uh, sort of a modern take on new wave and they were just unapologetic about it yeah yeah for sure yeah uh i think gimpy got to play with them once it was yeah i heard that before they before they were like in big or well known or anything i think we played in a bowling alley or something really got into the faint like a lot yeah they're cool still love that record i love the um Dance Macabre record. I think that that's just fantastic. Um, They put out another record later um, called Fascination, which is just, I actually think that's, that might actually be like their best record. Oh yeah. It's so good. Like I I really like it. I don't know if I heard that. 
to be honest. It's it's so good. But I mean, it's either that or Dance Macabre. I uh, they they put out like one of their members just recently passed, and I don't like mm. keyboardist or something. And they um, I don't think they're a band anymore. But they did put out one like last album like three or four years ago that was really good as well. They um, cool. but yeah, no, uh, Golden Dust. It just reminds yeah. it reminds me of that stuff. It, it was it was just a really sure. really great listen. Um, and I always yeah. really appreciated the night people aesthetic that Sean uh-huh. Reed uh, brought to the midwestern, um, yeah, eastern music scene. There there wasn't anybody else really doing anything like that at the time. No, I was always so jealous of everyone on there. And just. Beyond jealous, <laughs> and and I'm I'm also I've always I always was like, still am jealous of like Sean's ability to yeah. be, his artistic ability is just unreal. Yeah, I, I yeah, remember. That's nice stuff. I remember. Yeah. Uh, I actually was in a couple of art classes in hmm. at the high school with him, and I just mm-hmm. remember like anything he did was like just an automatic A plus. I swear. It was just like it was so good. It always has been. Is that with Mr. Kitchen? Yeah, Mr. Yeah. Kitchen. Uh, well, I don't. I don't know if Mr. Kitchen teaches now. I don't think he teaches now. Nothing but apps for me, man. He hated like that. <laughs> yeah, he didn't. He didn't like me either. I remember like the first day that first day he uh, actually uh, di- uh, gave us an assignment. Um, it was to draw our room, and oh. he wanted like he didn't want. He just wanted like our bed like that was it just like draw like our bed and i put windows on it on the walls and i put like my posters on the wall and he comes up to me and he like hovers over my shoulder he's like what's this crap right here what's this (laughs) and i was like um i i don't know and he he was just like he takes the paper and he like uh shows everybody he's like this is what mr Orr did here is exactly what I didn't want you to do. <laughs> wow. Yeah, he like really like humiliated me, like at the time. Yeah, he was good at that. He was very yeah. good at that. Um, anyway, uh, <laughs> aside from all that, uh, though. Yeah, one thing about Golden Dust too, I should mention. You said about the lo-fi. Um, I think the sound, how it's lo-fi, but it's not. I think the reason for that is, I think they're using older synths and drum machines and stuff. Oh, okay. It was recorded by. Uh, Luke Tweedy, who ah. I think his ear generally leans more towards really clean things. Ma- like his production, I feel, is very clean. Makes total sense. And, and tight. So I think that combination is what, what you're hearing. Yeah, it was, it was fantastic. Yeah. I, I loved it. Yeah. Um, okay, so the next record that I'm going to pick, the John Spencer Blues Explosion Plastic Fang. Um, two things that I just, I decided to, when I saw this on the list on Discogs, um, Mm -hmm. I decided that I was going to, if nobody else had claimed it, I was going to go ahead and claim it because, um, I had heard of the John Spencer Blues Explosion. Um, and I owned the album Orange at one time and listened to it a handful of times. I was never a huge fan of the John Spencer Blues Explosion. Um, but I always liked their silliness because they, they had like a unapologetic silliness to them. Like, mm-hmm. and they, true. it seemed like they were like, kind of like 
blues for Jesus Lizard fans. Yeah, gotcha. <laughs> like that's yeah. that's kind of how I would describe them. And some of that wore thin to me. Like I just they just weren't and still are not a band that I'm gonna like you know listen to all the time or anything. Um, mm-hmm. I loved the remix that they did of this song called Flavor. Uh, which was on this EP they released in the 90s called Experimental Remixes. And uh, okay. it was a remix. They had a song called Flavor on the uh, the album Orange, which was kind of, Orange is kind of like their big record of the 90s, I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and they did a remix of it on exper- this Experimental Remixes EP with Beck and Mike D from the Beastie Boys. And it was, it's fantastic. They even did a video and it was one of my favorite videos. Um, I recommend checking out that video. I think it's hilarious. Um, But anyway, so I just decided to check this out because I hadn't really heard a John Spencer Blues Explosion album since then. And I gotta say, man, I I really like this, man. It's just a great, uh, again, it's kind of like, it doesn't sound anything like Golden Dust, but this is like a record where there's just no, no surprises about, you know, it's, it's not a, uh, by any means an experimental record or any sort of departure from what the John Spencer Blues Explosion were doing before this record. Um, I do think that the production kind of sounds a little cleaner on this one to me. Um, but yeah. there's just some really great, like, just rock rock songs on this like um Mm -hmm. the opening track sweet and sour it's just so goofy and so like absurd he's just like you know uh it's just got that really like almost like delta blues feel to it um but it's Mm -hmm. also still like kind of dirty and sort of in your face uh you know still has that element of like noise rock to it or something like that there's a couple of other tracks on here like down in the beast i think is just a banger um Mm -hmm. and the uh the last track uh called you want to get it i mean i think that's just yeah it just sounds like a really like just fun jam session uh between a bunch of like you know uh musicians and it just sounds like it sounds like John Spencer Blues Explosion were just having fun on this record. Um, it's, you know, like I said, it's nothing that, uh, it's like Helios Creed. You know, I could find myself just pulling this out once every couple of months. I, I don't think I'll ever get obsessed with it. Maybe if I had discovered it earlier in my life, that would be the case. One of the things I do want to point out, though, um, is uh, the artwork to this album is insane. I mean, yeah, it's really cool. It's just, it's got this like comic book, this really like dark comic book feel to it. And even the inner sleeve, the track listing is listed in like this comic book font. Um, And it's just really, it's packaged like a like straight up DIY band. And I guess they were a DIY band in a way because they were. I don't know if they ever signed to a major label, but I see that they were on Matador Records, um, yeah. which is still an indie label. Um, but yeah, uh, it's um, it's a fun record, fun rock record, and it's it's an example of something that I 
I didn't know Sean was ever really into the John Spencer Blues Explosion. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I um, And honestly, I think that um, Jeff, the third member of Gimpy, might have had a big part in that. Um, he was way into it. I mean, there it never really stopped playing during that time period. Yeah. It didn't matter if it was orange or now I got worry or whatever. Like it was just, it was something that was always happening. And I think, um, I don't want to speak for Jeff, but I think the beats really did it for him. He's a DJ, hip hop DJ now in Minneapolis, I believe. Um, and he had a, uh, or still has a band that he DJs in. So he was really beat oriented. And in Gimpy, he programmed all the beats and all the synthesizer programming and stuff. So I think that was probably a lot of the reason. But yeah, there was a solid three or four years of my life where John Spencer was kind of always playing in the background. Uh, I didn't get into it that much, though, to be honest. Um, I like it, and I liked this record, Plastic Fang, because it was a little more rock and roll yes. feeling yes. than some of the later ones that seemed a little more almost like R.L. Burnside or something, where it was like hip, almost hip-hop beats with blues over it. Yes, yes. You know? Um, and I was never a big fan of Pussy Galore either, so I don't know if maybe that's more what they sounded like, was more of that rock and roll ver- versus that syncopated almost to the point of being hip-hop beats or whatever. So I'm not sure, um, but this feels a little more rock oriented to me. You could have took a 20 second snippet of this in the middle of one of these songs and said, this is the cramps. And I'd be like, Oh hell yeah, it's the cramps. Yeah. It, it really, like, I wouldn't have known. It, so, re- it really has it, that. It's feel. really rocking. So yeah, it, it really, yeah. it really has that feel to it. I, um, yeah, I was always a bigger fan of, um, uh, John Spencer did this side project with his wife called boss hog. Yeah, I liked that too. Um, it, it, it reminded me of Tim Buck Three, if you've ever had the <laughs> no, I've never fortune heard of, of listening to. Oh, I, I love them, and everyone else hates them, so that's the way it is. Who cares? I'll have to check but that their, out. Their harmonies are beautiful and super tight, and almost exactly like what uh, Boss Hog did, you really? know, a couple decades later or fifteen years later or whatever. Wow. So, yeah. Anyway, sorry to cut you off. No, 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 that's okay. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry to cut you off too, because I I've been doing that with you as well, so I apologize ah. for that. Um, but uh, Boss Hog, yeah, they're uh, yeah. I think it's their self-titled record that came out in like '95. They were signed to a major label, but yeah, it's a project that John Spencer did with him and his wife. And I was always a bigger fan of Boss Hog than I was of actual John Spencer Blues Explosion. Mm-hmm. Um. But yeah, no. So yeah, this was a cool little, cool little um, find. Uh, you know yeah. that. Yeah. Um, My favorite Sean parts had... definitely were um, Bernie Worrell's parts, the uh, keyboardist from uh, Parliament. Parliament Funkadelic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I was shocked. The the last synthesizer section is just basically flashlight. I mean, it's just the exact same bass synth sounds and it, it, it that was really cool i didn't expect to hear that so. no and and yeah and i yeah i was uh, actually shocked that burning world was even on this yeah 
So that's. I feel like I cut you off again. What were you going to say in closing about this record? Oh, no, no. I think I said all that I was going to say, man. Oh. Um, like, in all honesty, I, I, yeah, no, I think that's it, Eric. <laughs> cool. All right. Um, my next one is um, uh, Bogdan Rosinski, uh, and the record is called, let me look it up, sorry. It's a weird title. My Love, I Love is the title. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. Every song on the album is called My Love, I Love. Yeah. <laughs> uh, makes it kind of hard. I think the one, if I were going to put it on a playlist, would probably be number 14. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I, okay. I like that one. <laughs> when you go to the Wikipedia for the album, I think it was the Wikipedia it's um, um my love i love one my love i love two my you know so it actually i think maybe on the physical release maybe it's actually like numbered i don't know but it, yeah i thought that was oh. really weird anyway sorry to <laughs> yeah no not at all but the funny thing is the record itself is like this uh soft pink vinyl uh i don't even think the label in uh, says a or b oh it doesn't like, okay I didn't know oh, which side I was listening duh. to until you, yeah, I listened to it on Spotify. Duh, so. you would you would know about the physical copy because yeah, we're yeah, yeah we're talking about records. <laughs> yeah. So So I really liked this record. Um I think it is hard to place it squarely in any sort of genre or whatever. I would say that there's elements of post rock. Uh, there's elements of techno at moments. I mean there's synths. There's beats. Uh, sometimes they're singing. Sometimes there's accordion. I don't know. It's it's. It, there's a lot going on, but at no point does it ever like pop off and get strange or weird or dissonant. It's all very soothing and calming, and um, it just goes a lot of places, and that, that it's amazing. Uh, the reason I picked this one though is that this is this is going to sound weird, but I'm just going to talk it through and hopefully find meaning as I talk, you know. Um, the record, the, the, the aesthetic of it, um, the look of it, it's very not macho. Uh, and I think that was a thing about Sean that I always really liked, is that, he didn't have this sort of need to be manly. And he didn't have this element to him that would stop him from listening to things or watching things or reading things that were an affront to this sort of inherent manliness that a lot of us unfortunately have. And I totally remember Sean all the way back when this came out, saying, you have to listen to this. You're going to love it. And me looking at the cover and me looking at the pink vinyl and honestly being, I don't want to say turned off by it, but confronted by it. I mean, it was so not macho. I don't have a better word than that, I guess. Um, But that's something that I always really appreciated about Sean is he didn't have this false sense of, um, what it meant to be a man and what that made you do or what that stopped you from doing or 
even anything like that. You know, he derived what it was to be a person from life and his what he wanted to achieve and how he wanted to treat people. And I just, uh, yeah, it's one of those things that if I could go back, I would have not held on to my um, machismo as much. I would have been more open to a lot of the things that he tried to expose me to. So that's the real reason I picked this record. And that's, you know, me just obviously feeling bad for uh, being that kind of dude for a long time, you know, but yeah. we're all, and you know, <laughs> we're all changing and figuring out who we are. But I feel like Sean knew much earlier than, than a lot of us that, that that stuff wasn't important. Yeah, that's, um, that definitely, uh, you know, right away, um, that definitely is a vibe that I got listening to this record is that it was, uh, somebody, um, a male specifically who was just really just, uh, letting it all out. You know, I mean, it really, there, there was just a lot of, um, a lot of emotion on it and it, it just sounded really vulnerable, you know? Yeah, and for sure. On top of that, it was a very interesting listen. I mean, it was just, it reminded me in some ways of uh, that Arthur Russell record. Mm -hmm. um, sure. Because it, again, it just sounded very intimate and weird mm -hmm. and confrontational and uh, vulnerable again. I'll use that word again. And just really, um, uh, it just sounded like uh, somebody who was just uh, naked, not, you know, yeah. to speak figuratively, um, in front of everybody. It was just like um, there there were these themes of love and, you know, what it what it meant to be a man, you know, basically. Yeah. I, I think. I mean, it it and just just from the title alone, my love, I love, you know, and it's really, um, there, there were, to me, it, it sounded at times like a really just weird R and B record kind of, uh, um, yeah, but sure. with like techno, like you said, techno elements. And I found, I, it's interesting too. Like it just, a lot of the elements of electronic music that were here were very, um, deconstructed and yeah. Uh, at times it almost sounded like he was going to maybe go into some noise or something. And then it just kind of, yeah, it would sort of just like stop. And then you would be left with this like beautiful melody or something, just really strange stuff. It was pop music the way yeah. that I would like to hear it done more often, basically. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it was, it was just really cool. And I did a little bit of research on the artist. Yeah, yeah he is, he's like, usually like a drum and bass jungle yeah. type guy. I, I've, I've never listened to anything else, yeah. but this seems to be a departure of yeah. sorts. I, at least from what I can see, I I didn't listen to anything else either, but I kind of want to go back and listen to some of that stuff because I'm not right. really, I'm not a connoisseur really of like drum and bass, jungle music. Yeah. Um, I think some dubstep is kind of interesting, but I just, I never really, I couldn't tell you the first thing about who to check out in that genre. 
I mean, I only know the mainstream yeah. ones. I know like the Chemical Brothers and you know right. Fat Boy Slim and those guys. I do know a couple of weird ones like Square Pusher. You know. Yeah. But I've for never, sure. I've never just explored it and honestly just never really had the interest to explore it it's just right it's never really been my thing but when well, I, and that's the funny thing is like this didn't feel like music that sean necessarily would have gravitated towards generally yeah but the fact that he worked with Tesher and um some other people and basically did you know like apex twin kind of ambient and drum and bass and stuff like that i can see how sean found it he was always that guy like oh this guy worked with this guy or this girl or this group of people and like then he would go find that you know yeah it was yeah. a little little obsessive honestly yeah but that's, that's okay that's that's <laughs> great actually i mean because yeah. because this record is not something that i would have probably even you know i probably would never even have seen it in my life right. you know what i mean like yeah and it's great like i'm you know it's I that that's a record I probably would listen to, just yeah. just on the, on the basis of how interesting it was. I well, you can put it on and it it blends into the background, but also piques your interest every uh-huh. every little while. You're like, oh shit, what just happened? That was cool. And you know, hearing stuff like that and Arthur Russell and um, mm-hmm. Fire Tools and some of the stuff you've been introducing me to, this deconstructed sort of way of making music it's actually influencing uh me in a way uh like today for instance i detuned my acoustic guitar and just just sort of like you know what i mean i'm not saying that this is like a direct result of any of that but the way that arthur russell was playing the uh, cello on that you know what i mean it's just like it's done in such a way that you know what I mean? Like is not for sure. It it's not uh, typical, and so yeah. um, hearing this kind of stuff is it's inspiring me, man. And uh, I would I would put this Bogdan Rosinski. Is that how you say the name? Yeah. I I would put the Bogdan Rosinski album in if there is a genre that you can put it in. It's something that I could never name, but like I would put right. it in with like. Arthur Russell and fire tools and even like um, amnesia scanner, just because all of them are doing deconstructed music in their own way. I feel. Right. I think also though, it it wouldn't be that out of place to say something like Godspeed, you black emperor or. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, almost even like neutral milk hotel with some of those, uh there's almost like marching sections there's oh, a lot of um, um accordion and things like that also you know? so it's, also yeah. a big big comparison thanks for mentioning that because that reminds me a big comparison that i could actually it doesn't it doesn't sound like this record but i mm. i would not be surprised i don't know when when this record came out my love i love was it in the 90s or 2001 okay so it probably couldn't it couldn't have really been an influence but maybe this record was an influence on that i don't know but i hear Mm. i can hear some comparisons to like something like kid a by radiohead sure you know or something like that it's just really yeah 
really interesting. Yeah, no, I'm uh, again, I'm psyched with, yeah. you know, that 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 well, was that was a really really great listen. I really it was it was a beautiful gorgeous listen, for sure. Yeah, I agree. Um, now on to something that is not necessarily a beautiful gorgeous listen. <laughs> <laughs> It is to me, but it probably isn't necessarily to a lot of other people. This is a record that means so much to me because this is a band that means so much to me. Those of you who watched any of my YouTube videos on my channel, I actually did an entire video about this band. No means no. Um, they're a, a, a band uh, from... Uh, Vancouver, British Columbia, or I should say was, because they broke up, I think, in, officially in like 2010 or something. But they had been around since the early 80s. This is another one that I was actually kind of surprised, but at the same time not surprised that Sean had. More because I, I, it makes sense to me that Sean would be into this, because I know that he was into a lot of, like, you know, weird, aggressive punk rock, you know? Mm. But... Uh, it's more so because this record is actually very pretty hard to find, at least around here. Mm. Um, so I, when I saw this, I had to, I, I had to uh, claim it because um, it's just, it's one of my favorite records from this band and probably maybe ever. And it's a, it's called wrong by this band. No means no. Uh, the band uh, started out as a two piece, the brothers, um, Rob and John Wright, um, and they've had various other members. This one came out in 1989. I think this was like their fourth record, and it's just, to me, it's just like a progressive punk rock masterpiece. I think um, it's really, really um, just heavy and sounds really aggressive at times. Um, and I think that oftentimes if you get deep into No Means No, No's catalog, they're almost purposely playing these characters on their records and in their songs of just really like terrible people. Uh, like almost like, they're almost like, I don't know, like LARPing in their music, I almost feel like. Because it's almost kind of like Dead Kennedys, for instance. Like, sure. a song like I Kill Children, you know. Obviously, <laughs> Jello Biafra is not advocating for killing children. You know what I mean? Uh, but No Means No kind of take that whole aesthetic or that idea to, like, the next level. I mean, it's like, you know, look at their name. No Means No. It's a famous for being a rape slogan. Um, you know, like, uh, no means no, you know what I mean? Like that's, it's something that, you know, uh, it's common sense, you know, but it can also mean like they were saying, uh, I saw an interview with them and they were saying that it can also just mean like your mom telling you no, that you can't have that toy when you're seven years old, you know, no means no, yeah. you know? And so they kind of, uh, explore a lot of these sort of themes i think with with humanity in their songs and i mean this i mean the the very first track it's catching up i mean the first line uh that uh rob wright is yelling is uh have you seen the news the dead walk 
<laughs> I mean, that's like the first, like the first line. And it's just like, yeah, I can't think of like any more of an appropriate prophetic song than that today. Like, it's just, <laughs> yeah. it's just unbelievable. And then the musicianship is rad. Um, I mean, these guys, like, play like they're trained jazz musicians. Um, it's just, it's insane. And I've watched some videos yeah. of them playing live. And it's it's just, I can't say enough great things about this. I think they're <laughs> the most underrated band ever. Like, I don't think that... They're one of my favorite bands. They're in my top five favorite bands of all time. And um, so many good songs on here, like Rags and Bones, which is hilarious because there's like this little guitar solo in the middle where it's just the mm -hmm. guitar player stop... Uh, the band stops and the guitar player plays one note for like 30 seconds before you yeah. just go back into like this punk rock insanity. Um, oh no, Bruno. There's like some bizarre, like that. another thing that no means no did that I really liked is they had these bizarre moments of like, where they would like, I don't know. They, they would get like, um, like a, like a female vocalist to do like these like chorus parts these like yeah. singing chorus parts in the middle of the song and like these mm -hmm. breakdowns. Um, and uh, the tower is another great song. And there's too many good songs on, on this album for me. And um, it's just, it's really fast in your face, but I also think there's a sophistication to it. And mm -hmm. I feel like a lot of bands in the genre that they were playing uh, with, uh, they couldn't even comprehend what this band was doing. I, that that's my observation. I mean, I know that mm -hmm. if if I would have been in like the Minutemen or something like that, and I saw No Means No, I would have been like, holy shit, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And the Minutemen's a crazy band themselves, you know. Yeah. And it's just it's like they're they're playing like this crazy punk rock through the filter of prog rock and yeah i think it mm -hmm. has a lot to do with where they came from because i've noticed that can canadian punk rock and metal bands always seem to have the most adventurous uh the adventurous um the what am i trying to say here the most adventurous um sounds uh they they seem to be for whatever reason, like like Voivod, like Voivod's <laughs> a good example, or even I don't yeah. know I don't know what your thoughts are, but even Rush, you know, oh yeah, for from, sure from Canada, like yeah. um, you know, I, it just seems like Canadian punk rock gets a little bit more weird than yeah a, a lot of American punk rock, and no means it's a little more like cerebral, yeah, yeah, cerebral, you know? and I think that. I think that No Means No really spoke to the ugliness of humanity in such a way that nobody else was really able to do. Um, that's just my observation. And it yeah. makes total sense that they were on Alternative Tentacles, Dead Kennedy's I think Lake. so, too. Um, mm -hmm. I, 
I just I can't say enough good things. If you're a fan of of punk rock and you don't know who No Means No is, I really recommend you check them out. It doesn't have to be this album. It can be. They have a few albums on Spotify, um, but really just anything from them to me is just fantastic. This though, I would say Wrong is among their best record, if not their best record. So yeah, No Means No. Yeah, wrong. This, is, this is the first one I've listened to. Yeah. To be honest, and I I liked it a lot. It was um, it really is pretty out there in its own way yet really conventional in other ways yes i hate it when people just compare something to a bunch of other things and that's supposed to tell you what it what it is or what it sounds like right but there were certain things i couldn't get past like it to me it sounded right in line with rollins but also like jesus lizard yep some fugazi yep um there was a funk metal element to it, I felt like, or a prog metal, like I said, with, like, Voivod. I didn't even actually think that they were both from Canada. I didn't even think about that. Yeah. But yeah, I can hear that. There's, like, a cow punk element to the whole thing, which the Dead Kennedys had. Yeah. And so that that's there. Um, but it really goes everywhere. I mean, just without a doubt. If you, if you listen for to one song and say, I don't like that. Listen to the next song. I mean, it's like the old Iowa weather joke, you know, you don't like it. Wait around five minutes. Or yeah. 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 But that's kind of how this felt to me too. It was math Rocky, but it was, it was punk rock and it was heavy metal. It wasn't, it was all these things and they did it well and they did it purposefully. It wasn't just a, a mashup of things. These are separated the elements were separated yet worked together. Um, it's really weird though. The band that I really felt they sounded most like that I know of um, was a band called Nihilate. Oh yeah, Illinois. Nihilate. Yes, yes. Yeah, the, the guy would wear a big uh, sock monkey costume. Um, I freaking love Nihilate, um, but that was the closest thing I could think of to the sound of this group that I've ever heard. Yeah. Um, and, and especially with the goofy goofiness of the vocals, sometimes it, it did feel like characters, like they were playing characters at times. And that's, that's always cool too. Like sometimes you want to hear a real actual heartfelt personal connection with someone you're listening to. And other times you just want them to present, you know, who they're not like a, a made up character. I think that's a lot of fun too. So, yeah. yeah, I thought, I thought this record was cool. And I mean, just 100% in line with the kind of stuff Sean liked. I mean, I think all of our choices today fit squarely into the shit he was into, you know? <laughs> Absolutely. No, at the, at the end of the day, I mean, it definitely, um, yeah, I mean, Sean just had a really great, um, great ear for just a lot of things. Mm -hmm. And he introduced me to a lot of different things, a lot of different shit. One story that I'd like to share real quick is um, he was always super supportive of whatever I was doing, like musically. And I just remember he um, booked that show and put, 
the basement of Public Space One in Iowa City mm-hmm. uh, that my old band Disgruntled Noise Box played. And I just remember, like, um, we, like, made him laugh so hard that he, like, he was actually the dude who was, like, asking for an encore. (laughs) You know, because he was, like, he was, like, I'm putting on this show and it has to be done by a certain time, but I don't care. You guys can play, like, one more song, you know, like. Oh, yeah. And he was just always, like, super cool and. It was, it was, it, man, yeah, it's, it's just, um, oh man, yeah, it's, it's, it's crazy. Life is just crazy, you know? I, um, yeah, for sure. Definitely, uh, definitely a, a go to, uh, a, a, a golden guy for sure. Uh, yeah. I mean, I just, yeah, it, it's nuts. But, um, anyway, um, yeah. So, um, anything else you'd like to add, Eric? Um, no, I think we, I think we uh, talked about some good music. Talked about a good dude. You know, what else is there? <laughs> yeah, that's true. Good music and good dudes. That's for sure. Um, yeah. I'd like to dedicate this episode to you know the memory of Sean, which obviously we're doing. You know. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah. So, um, again, we're going to be updating the playlist. Um, once this episode gets uploaded, I'm not quite sure when that's going to be. It basically just depends on when my lazy ass gets around to doing it. Um, but it'll be definitely in the next couple of days. Um, we got some other cool things in store, um, with the podcast coming up. So stay tuned guys. Um, I'm excited. And, uh, yeah, I think that's it. All right. Cool. See y'all later. See y'all later. We'll, uh, hear from you next week. (laughs) 